Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 62. I think all devoutly practicing Catholics will agree that the ideologies within feminism aren't compatible with Catholic teaching, but its effects on the faithful are actually worse than you might think. In fact, I'll be so bold as to assert that most everyone in this listening audience accept as normal some of the earliest feminist propaganda, which does much to stop families from reaching their full potential in the best situations and works to destroy them in the worst situations. This 60-second episode of The Cantankerous Catholic intends to prove that, so hold on to your seats. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a Holy Orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Feminism is destructive on so many levels, and much of it is accepted as true by even the most serious Catholics. We've been hammered with feminist propaganda for so long, well over a century, that we come to accept and believe much of feminism's earliest errors. Before I launch into this, I want to give you a warning and lay a foundation for a few things I want to say this week. My warning is this. If you're a snowflake, or if you find it difficult to accept truths that challenge the way you think and live, you might want to stop listening to this right now. I don't want to hurt, upset, or offend anyone, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it if I do. By its very nature, truth hurts and offends people. Espousing truth is what got Jesus crucified because his persecutors were upset and offended. I'm going to get a lot of angry feedback about this episode from both men and women. I'll probably even lose some listeners, but that's never been a consideration for me when it comes to promoting pure, unadulterated truth. 
However, if you're the kind of person who loves truth and you desire to live the faith in all its purity, as I believe all six-packers do, please listen carefully to everything I have to say. Now for the foundation. One of the effects of feminism, whether its original proponents intended it or not, is that it undermines Christian teachings we've had from the very first century. Protestants tell us that the old law was perfected by grace. Certainly grace has an important role in it, but grace isn't what perfected the old law. It was perfected by Jesus giving us the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So the old law continues to stand in everything concerning morality and natural law. Moral law can't change. Why? Because God can't change. Change is the one thing God can't do because he's perfect. If a thing is perfect, it can't change. For a thing to change means that it wasn't perfect in the first place. As Catholic Christians, we accept the divinely revealed truth that God exists as a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of the Son, Paul rightly says in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, Paul is asserting the truth that Jesus is perfect because he's God, thus incapable of change. Therefore, his moral laws can't change. No matter what changes take place in culture and society, his laws do not and cannot change to fit in with the cultural and societal norms. If you're ever in doubt about what moral norms are today, the best way to find out is to go back and research the writings of the early church fathers. If a moral teaching existed then, it still exists today. The things I want to tell you about feminism and how that ideology has undermined Catholic morality is something not taught by any bishop or priest I know of anywhere in the world today. That's not to say they've allowed feminism to overtake their thinking and no longer agree with what the church has taught for the last 2,000 years. I know many priests and a few bishops who agree fully with what I'm going to tell you this week, but I don't know any who will publicly say so. In some cases, their resistance to promoting these truths is cowardice, plain and simple. In other cases, I believe they view these truths as less important than many other moral truths that are under attack today. Cowardice is never a valid excuse for silence, and I think it's misguided to remain silent because there are other moral truths perceived to be more important. The feminist issues and their effects on Catholic morality go to the very core of the domestic church, the family. One of the reasons the church is in great decline and we live in a post-Christian society is because our bishops and priests have allowed the structure of the family to crumble. If you build a house without a foundation, that house will soon collapse. Jesus made that clear when he talked about building on sand versus building on rock. Since the family is the main body of the Catholic Church, it must have a solid rock foundation. But our hierarchy has kept silent about the effects of feminism for a century, so that foundation is turning into sand. That has to change, and the change will begin here and now with you six-packers. Together, we're a movement, a force to be reckoned with by wayward bishops, priests, and Catholic laity. Now that we've established that Catholic morality can't possibly change, let's talk about the effects of feminism on modern Catholics and the lie in feminism they bought into. In Ephesians 5.22-24, Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject in everything to their husbands. Feminism says this is malarkey, but it's an eternal truth. It's been neglected by our hierarchy for so long that I actually had an Orthodox catechist tell me that the church doesn't teach that anymore. Almost all modern Catholics believe as he does, and that's a steaming pile of bovine feces that undermines truth and has families building on sand rather than rock. Just as Jesus is the heart of the church and the Holy Spirit is her soul, so too is the husband the heart of the family and the wife is its soul. The Holy Spirit animates the church and the wife animates the family. God created us that way in our nature. Men are the aggressors, providers, and protectors by their very nature. Women are the nurturers and builders of the family. Feminism says husbands and wives are equal, and there's about as much truth to that as the belief that gravity doesn't exist. I can't have babies, and my wife can't protect the family from unjust aggressors, so can anyone really believe that husbands and wives are equals? That's not to say women are inferior to men. They're not but they're not equal either. God set it up that way. God didn't create Eve from the earth the way he did Adam. Eve came from Adam, not the other way around. There can't be tenderness and genuine warmth in a family without the wife. We men respond well to the love and tenderness of our wives and the children she instills with that love and tenderness, but we're not capable of generating that. It's not our nature. Any tenderness we display is inspired and brought about by the wife. Because men respond well to the love and tenderness that exists because of the wives, it's our job to protect and provide for them. It's in our nature to want to do that. A wife being subject to her husband and everything that's not sinful isn't a matter of subjugation, but rather a matter of the husband protecting the wife. Jesus established the Catholic Church. He promised that hell would never destroy her. In other words, he's the church's protector and provider of all that the church needs. If the Holy Spirit hadn't entered the church on Pentecost, there'd be no love, hope, faith, compassion, or nurturing in the church. In the family, which is the domestic church, the husband is the protector and provider, but it's the wife who supplies the family with love, hope for the future, faith in the family's sanctity, the compassion that turns children into potential saints, and the nurturing that both the husband and the children need. The husband is the builder, protector, and provider of the family, but modern Catholic men have abrogated their proper role to their wives. Perhaps a majority of wives have even asserted the replacement or co-equal role of the husband, and it's got to stop. A century ago, about the time feminism began gaining traction, you could go into any Catholic parish and find as many men as you could women. The active participation in men of the parish was far greater than that of women. The family's children were well-behaved, and everyone was dressed modestly and in a manner you'd expect subjects to dress when they were about to meet their king. But it's not that way anymore. Men, especially in the summer, dress like their 10-year-old kids in shorts, or they dress like they're getting ready to go fishing. 
Their daughters dress terribly immodestly in short skirts or tops that expose cleavage, or pants that are so tight and revealing that they look like they've been poured into them. Their sons wear tennis shoes to mass, even those who serve at the altar. Their wives often dress as immodestly as their daughters. The behavior of young children is appalling. From the time children are old enough to walk, they should be taught of the importance of the Mass and how to comport themselves, but instead they're being kept busy with activity books and finger foods. Children are permitted to be disruptive, making it nearly impossible for other Mass participants to focus on the Holy Sacrifice. All of this stems from the abrogation of husband's responsibilities to his family. Men, as the protector of your family, that responsibility extends to their spiritual protection. That means you have the responsibility to protect the souls of your wife and children. It's your job to give them the resources and discipline necessary to help them become saints. It's time now, today, for you to make major changes in your family. Be a man. Get yourself squared away first. You're not 10 years old anymore, so stop dressing like a 10-year-old when you leave the house. Start thinking about everything you say and do before you say and do them. You're always the primary example for your children, especially your sons. Your example to your sons helps them define what a Catholic man should be. Your example to your daughters gives them the traits they'll want and the sort of Catholic men they choose to spend the rest of their lives with. Be a man. No woman respects a weak, namby-pamby boy occupying a man's body. She wants a masculine man, not a wishy-washy, unengaged, passive male boy. Be a proactive man. Nature motivates a woman to want her husband to be a man. Modern snowflake liberals call a real Catholic man a toxic male. You should have learned the lesson by now that if the left says something is bad and offensive, it's almost guaranteed that you should want, desire, and imitate the very thing they condemn. Your wife wants a strong man she can depend on to handle anything that comes along to protect her and the children. Be a man. Don't just go with your family's flow. Lead them. Leading them doesn't mean bossing them around or being a tyrant. Leading them means you have to do just that lead. That means setting the example, instilling a little discipline in the kids, asserting your God-given authority, and establishing some immovable ground rules. You set the expectations, then use discipline to make certain the kids do all they can to meet those expectations, and don't move the goalpost when things get a little bit rough. Be a man! Every single family, from newlyweds to families with kids about to leave the nest, you should have a nightly rosary. It doesn't matter if one of the kids has some activity scheduled. Do your nightly rosary. That comes first, because it's your manly and fatherly responsibility to rear your kids to be devout practicing Catholics. If you're too busy to do this, get unbusy. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. If you're too busy to give Jesus and Mary 20 of them as a family, you're just too damn busy. Be a man. Put away your toys and selfish desires that put you into debt. If you can't afford to pay cash for something you want, you don't need it. Your responsibility is to provide the very best you can afford to meet your wife and children's needs. The operative word is need, not desire. 
After every need is met for your wife and kids, only then do you consider yourself and begin managing the family finances as if there won't be an income tomorrow. Believe me, I know from experience there may not be. Be a man. Your wife and daughters are supposed to imitate Mary and their virtues. That's the Catholic way. Demand that they do. Don't be afraid to tell your daughter she needs to change clothes before going out if she's not dressed modestly enough. When your wife dresses immodestly, tell her you already know how sexy and appealing she is, and you don't want other men knowing what you know. If she refuses to begin dressing modestly, you've got a much deeper problem than you think, and that's another matter. And what's modest dress? It's certainly not what society says it is. I'm not advocating sackcloth and ashes, but rather dressing in a stylish and attractive manner that's modest. Catholic women are supposed to look appealing by looking feminine and virtuous, not like she's advertising. That's what wives are supposed to do. Daughters too, for that matter. Be a man. Stop trying to be your children's buddy. Start being a dad. Make your children mind and behave. Disciplining the children is only your wife's responsibility when you're not around. And if you're doing the discipline thing correctly, one line she can use very effectively for discipline is, I'll tell your daddy when he gets home. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you don't discipline your kids now, a criminal court judge will do it for you later. You ladies aren't getting off the hook either. A wife's duties are to agree with her husband in everything that isn't sinful and to be loving, devoted, and generously dedicated to her children in the care of her home. Contrary to what our culture says, you don't need a career. You took on a career when you said, I do, at the altar. Your career, the most important career known to society, is the care and rearing of your children and making a loving and nurturing home for your husband. The recent Democrat women who were running for president and dropped out have told us the reason they didn't do well was because America is sexist. America's not sexist. Those women were rotten candidates. I have no doubt that we'll one day have a woman president, and she'll probably be very capable. But that's just going to accelerate the destruction of our nation. No, not because the president's a woman, but because of the example for the people. The President of the United States wields tremendous influence over the people without ever saying a thing. The same is true with the Prime Minister of England. Margaret Thatcher was a tremendous Prime Minister for England. She was Churchillian and saved her country from self-destructive path it was on. But there's one thing that none of the media pointed out anywhere. While Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister of England, that nation's divorce rate went up. Why? Because Iron Pants Maggie's example convinced women they were as good as or better than the men they were married to in areas that are supposed to be left to men. There's a great example taking place here right now. President Trump has done more to restore the religious rights of Christians than any president in my lifetime, and he's quick to tell people he'll always stand up for religious liberties. The American citizens cheer him loudly and thankfully for his defense of our liberties. 
However, while we're regaining our Christian liberties and it's wildly popular with our citizens, church attendance in all denominations during the Trump administration has continued to decline. Why? Because the president sets the example by not attending church himself. You women don't need a career, and don't tell me you have to work to make ends meet. You're only lying to yourself. I promise you that I could look at your finances and lifestyle right now and in 10 minutes find hundreds of dollars every month in wasted money being spent on things you don't need. In fact, most of those non-essential items would actually make life better and build a stronger family if they were eliminated anyway. Wives and mothers didn't find careers outside the home until the demonic Democratic Party made it necessary under Roosevelt during World War II. You've since been convinced by feministic ideologies that it's your purpose to work outside the home and that working in the home is some sort of servitude. But that's a lie. Families are stronger and more loving, children become better adults, and society is more stable and balanced when wives and mothers fill the role God intended them to fill. Women are far more empowered and influential in society and the culture when they devote themselves to their families to the exclusion of everything else. It's all just a matter of having the backbone to say no to the lies of feminism. Here's another one for you wives and mothers. You aren't a 17-year-old high school girl anymore, so stop dressing and trying to behave like one. Current styles for women are focused on trying to look younger. Hey, nobody likes the idea of getting older. I get that. But you're going to age whether you like it or not. Get over it. Can you imagine your mom wearing a dress that comes halfway up her thigh or one that has her breasts all but falling out? Do you think anyone's going to show her the respect you think your mom deserves if she's dressed like that? Does anyone really want to see your mom dressed that way? Well, no one wants to see you dressed like that either. Your own ego and vanity may tell you that they do, but I assure you that they don't. Ladies and gentlemen, my six-packer friends, life is more complex than it's ever been, despite the technologies intended to make our lives easier. For our own sanity, sanctification, and survival, we need to get back to the basics. That begins with rejecting the lies of feminism and assuming your God-given roles and responsibilities. What do Billy D. Williams, the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell, and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross? Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how, in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity, how the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic World Report. 
Known as the Dowry Tour, in recognition of England's traditional title, the Pilgrim Queen's royal visit to all four corners of her realm is culminating on March 29 with the formal rededication of England to Mary. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to LifeSite News. It's not a popular view to hold, but one of the most dangerous things you can give your teenager is a smartphone. Parents are clueless their children use smartphones to send and receive nude photos. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to YouTube. A short YouTube video is an excellent testimony for the Catholic laity. It features Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who is a Catholic. You can get the entire story by clicking the link to YouTube in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to the Western Journal. I like heroes, especially when they're teenagers, because it shows some parent did the right thing. A Phoenix High School student has been credited with saving the life of a staff member who reportedly collapsed on campus and suffered a heart attack. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 1 Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The South Dakota House passed a ban on transgender surgery and puberty-blocking medication for minors. The bill also outlaws certain surgical procedures from being performed on miters, including castration, vasectomy, and hysterectomy. The bill now goes to the state senate. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. Last week, we began our examination of how Christ established the Catholic Church. This week, we're going to take it a step further, perhaps several steps further. The most telling point about the divine origins of the Church is the papacy. Non-Catholics, particularly those who aren't exactly friends of the Catholic Church, all tell us there is nothing in the Bible about the papacy or St. Peter being the first pope. That's a bunch of malarkey. It couldn't be further from the truth. Biblical evidence for the papacy is overwhelming. Following the logical presentation of Carl Keating in his modern classical work, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, we find the evidence to be irrefutable. Keating notes first that St. Peter was almost always named first in the Gospels listing of the Apostles, and that sometimes the Apostles were referred to only as Peter and those who were with him. He points out that St. Peter was the first of the apostles to preach, the first to perform a healing miracle, and the one to whom the revelation came that Christianity was for Gentiles as well as for Jews. Keating goes on to tell us that, quote, Peter's preeminent position among the apostles was symbolized at the very beginning of his relationship to Christ, although the implications were only slowly unfolded. At their first meeting, Christ told Simon that his name would thereafter be Peter, which translates as rock. The startling thing was that in the Old Testament, only God was called a rock. The word was never used as a proper name for a man. If one would have turned to a companion and say, from now on your name is asparagus, people would wonder. 
Why asparagus? What is the meaning of it? Indeed, why Peter for Simon the fisherman? Why give him as a name a word only used for God before this moment? Christ was not given to meaningless gestures, and neither were the Jews as a whole when it came to names. Giving a new name meant that the status of the person was changed, as when Abram was changed to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Eliakim to Joachim, and Daniel, Ananias, Misael, and Azarias to Baltazar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But no Jew had ever been called Rock because that was reserved for God. The Jews would give other names taken from nature, such as Barak, which means lightning, Deborah, B, and Rachel, U, but not Rock. In the New Testament, James and John were surnamed Boanerges, sons of thunder, by Christ, but that was never regularly used in place of their original names. Simon's new name supplanted the old, end quote. St. Peter's name has been firmly established by Christ as a name synonymous with God. Throughout Jesus and St. Peter's relationship, the reason became gradually clear, but it becomes crystal clear in Matthew. Immediately after St. Peter proclaims Christ's divinity, our Lord says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This passage seems obvious to most readers. The verse could have been rewritten as, You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. It makes perfect sense that Jesus is here giving St. Peter's supreme authority. However, those who desire to debunk the papacy and the divine authority it possesses prefer to claim the rock refers to Christ instead of Peter. Grammatical rules tell us that the phrase, this rock, must relate to the closest noun. Peter's profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ is two verses earlier, while Peter's name is in the immediately preceding clause. Analogously, consider this artificial sentence. I have a shirt and a coat, and it is blue. Which is blue? The coat, because that's the noun closest to the pronoun it. Obviously, then, the word rock must mean Peter. You are Peter, rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Not only is the reference to rock clear, but we see also that Jesus is giving St. Peter more authority than God had ever given any man, along with some specific promises. Immediately after stating that he will build the church upon St. Peter, Jesus goes on to make an astounding promise along with an even more astounding reason for doing so. The promise is, the gates of hell will not defeat the church built on St. Peter. This is a promise that the church will not be destroyed by Christ's enemies and that she will stand until the end of time. Only a divine institution could have such a promise as that. Think about it. There's not one single nation on the face of the planet existing today that existed then. All have either been overthrown and completely remade, or they are destroyed. Many antichrists have come and gone. The Roman Empire tried to destroy the Catholic Church. 
So did Attila the Hun, Khan, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, and even the United Nations tries today. Yet Holy Mother Church is still youthful and thriving, while all our enemies become dust and ashes. Using the symbol of the keys, Jesus then gives Peter his own authority. That symbol isn't lost on us today. Dignitaries receive keys to the city. Business owners possess the keys to their businesses and the authority to run it. You have keys in your car, and no one else has the authority to drive it without those keys. It's obvious, then, that Jesus is giving divine authority to Peter when he gives him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is immediately followed by the power of binding and loosing. Binding and loosing among the rabbis of our Lord's time meant to declare something prohibited or permitted. Here it plainly means that St. Peter, the steward of the Lord's house, the church, has all the rights and powers of a divinely appointed steward. He doesn't, like the Jewish rabbis, declare probable speculative opinions, but he has the right to teach and govern authoritatively and with the certainty of approval in heaven. A law-giving power is certainly applied by these words. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts, and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A parish priest began to notice a working man in overalls who made daily visits to the church. The man always seemed to be in a hurry. He ran in, genuflected for just a moment, then ran out again. One day the priest waited for him and asked, Tell me, why do you rush in and out like that? The man replied, Well, Father, it's my lunch hour. I have to hurry all the way here and all the way back. 
I have just enough time to be in and out again. Still curious, the priest asked what prayers he could possibly say in such a short time. The man said, well, Father, I speak to him as I would one of my best friends if I was in a hurry and couldn't stop for long. I just say, Jesus, it's Jimmy. Don't you think he'll understand, Father? I'm sure he will, said the priest. God bless you. A few weeks later, the priest was called into the emergency room at a hospital. He found that the victim was none other than his friend of the hurried visits. It was certain the man was dying, and the priest heard his confession with great difficulty because the man was only semi-conscious. Then came Viaticum, and the priest held up the sacred host. Bending down toward the closed eyes, the priest quietly said, Jimmy, it's Jesus. The eyes opened in glad recognition, and Jimmy received his friend with a happiness that still lit his face when he died a few moments later. Since prayer is the lifting up of the mind and heart to God, Jimmy's short visits were pleasing to God because they were fervent. It's not the length of your prayers that matter so much as it is the love you say them with. Visit Jesus as often as you can. There are 128 hours in a week. If you're too busy to give Jesus just one of those hours, you're too busy. Visiting Jesus will draw you closer to him in sincere friendship. Then your own death will be as beautiful as Jimmy's was. That's it for this episode, Six Packers. Be sure to come back and listen to next week's episode. If you like The Cantankerous Catholic, be sure to write a review wherever you download it so other like-minded Catholics can more easily find it. And be sure to visit my show notes to get links to other things relevant to this episode. As long as you're on the show notes, drop a comment at the bottom to let me know what you think of this episode or to suggest topics for future episodes. If you happen to be on cantankerouscatholic.com for the show notes, download a free copy of The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It, Volume 1, and visit the Joe's Stuff page to get copies of my other books and some really neat coffee mugs. I think you six-packers are the cream of the Catholic crop, and I really appreciate you listening. Just remember, though, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.